You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Hey, you listen to Brains On, so that means you have something really valuable to us. Your thoughts about the show. We're working with the National Science Foundation to make Brains On even better, and we'd love to hear from you. How do you listen? Why do you listen? What are you taking away from the show? We want to know. You can really help us out by answering a short survey online or by signing up to be a part of Family Interviews. And you'll get a cool thank you surprise for helping us out. Just go to brainson.org slash supernova. That's brainson.org slash supernova. Thanks and high fives for the help. Let's start the show. Close your eyes and listen. What are you picturing when you hear these sounds? An alien planet? Or maybe a spaceship landing? Or a dance party for ghosts? It sounds like science fiction, but these are real noises from nature. That is the sound of the Arctic. Those are animals you're hearing. Bearded seals and narwhals. And today we're taking you to the Arctic to answer this question from Sylvie in Coos Bay, Oregon. My question is, why do narwhals have horns? Don't know what a narwhal is? Curious about its mighty horn? Well... Keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-hosts today are Leah and Maya from Los Angeles. Hello. Hi. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Today, we are excited because we are talking all about narwhals. And just in case you haven't seen a narwhal before, here's what they look like. They're a kind of whale. They're about as long as a car, and they usually weigh more than a ton. They have pale skin dappled with dark gray spots. But the feature that makes them most distinctive... Is their horn. You might have seen a drawing or a picture of a narwhal that makes it look kind of like a whale with a single horn coming out of its head. Like a unicorn. Right. But without the sparkles and rainbows or hooves and legs. And actually, it's not a horn at all. It's a tusk. Just like you see on an elephant or a walrus. And tusks are teeth. So the narwhal's horn is just a really long tooth. And it's not coming out of the narwhal's forehead. It's coming out of the narwhal's mouth and through a hole in its front lip. Instead of a smooth, curved surface, the tusk actually spirals. If you haven't seen a narwhal before, you can head to our website, brainson.org, to see some photos and videos of these very cool marine mammals. Leah and Maya, what did you first think when you saw a picture of a narwhal? Um, It looked pretty cool, and I was wondering why it only had one tusk. I think I might have called it a unicorn of the sea. Because it looked like a unicorn that was coming out of the sea. (laughs) Totally. They are so cool looking. So why do they have these tusks? Are they just for decoration? Like an extreme lip piercing? Or do they have a purpose? What do you think the tusks are used for? I've heard they have some kind of holes in them that maybe detect change in warmth. I feel like they're for breaking through ice so they can get to surface to breathe out of the water. Well, we are lucky enough to have someone here who can answer all of our narwhal questions. Kristen Lydra is a marine biologist at the University of Washington in Seattle. Hello, Kristen. Hi, Leah. Hi, Maya. How do narwhals get these horns? Or I should say tusks. Yeah, how do the narwhals get the tusks? So narwhals are not born with their tusk. Both 
both boys and girls, when they're born, they look the same. And slowly, as the young boys mature, the tusk erupts out of the, out of the upper jaw and starts to grow. And the tusk grows for quite a long time. It can grow for, for 10 or 12 years to the point where that young male becomes um, an adult male. So why do only males have the tusks, not female? The tusk is basically for showing off. And so um, if you think about other animals across the world, like the lion that has a big mane or the um, different deer that have big antlers, they're often males. And those males use those kind of fancy, flashy appendages to compete with each other and basically decide who's the boss or who's, you know, who's the person that should get the girl and so what we think is the narwhal tusk is, is scientifically what we call a, a, a sexual trait, but it's basically something flashy that the boys have to help them compete and decide who's the boss. A drone recently captured narwhals doing something interesting with their tusks. What was it? So, yeah, recently there was some footage that was distributed um, of a narwhal uh, with a tusk at the surface swimming through a school of fish, and the whale was moving its head back and forth, and it looked like it may have been using its tusk to either disturb or even possibly stun the fish. And so um, that was very interesting. I would say we definitely need more information to really understand if if narwhals use their tusk in that way for... Um, finding fish, but um, that's what science is all about, learning new things and exploring them. You know, there have been a lot of hypotheses about the tusk over the years, whether it's used to break ice or it's used to sword fight or, you know, do do other things. And um, I would say there's not a lot of evidence for any of those other hypotheses. There's been some suggestions that it's um, very sensitive and um, that may be true. If you think about your teeth, when you eat cold ice cream, you often feel that on your teeth. Um, but it doesn't mean that the tusk is really what we would say critical for survival, because the number one thing is that only the males or the boys have a tusk. So all of the female narwhals that are swimming around out there have no tusk, and they manage just fine. They're able to find food, they're able to migrate, they're able to give birth and raise their young. So we really don't think the tusk is something critical for survival. Do they have other teeth besides the tusk? Narwhals actually have no teeth inside their mouth. So if you open up the mouth of a narwhal, it's all gums. And they, what they actually have, they have another long tooth that remains embedded inside the skull. And that's the, that's the second tooth that will grow in the very rare case where you have the double-tusked narwhal. But otherwise, they have no teeth. They just swallow swallow their prey whole. How long does a narwhal live? A narwhal, um, the oldest living narwhals that we have documented are about 100 years old. That's a very long time. Are, are narwhals connected to the myth of unicorns? And if so, how? Yeah, great question. So um, narwhals are connected to the myth of unicorns. And uh, a long time ago in the Viking era, the Vikings would actually sail up to the Arctic to waters around Greenland, and they would barter with the Inuit people and they would bring narwhal tusks back to Europe. And when they got back to Europe, they would tell stories or, well, basically lies about where those those tusks came from and make up stories that made people want to pay a lot of money for them. Like, for example, that the tusks came from unicorns. And so people um, 
really wanted these tusks. Kings would buy the tusks and make their thrones out of them. It wasn't until the late 1700s when uh, somebody basically came out and said, hey, these aren't from unicorns, these are from a whale. Like a nice set of dentures, we're going to put teeth aside for a minute and focus on our ears. It's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Okay. Do you guys have any guesses? It sounds like seagulls, maybe? And it, sounds, it sounds like the beach, but with like a thousand of seagulls. Not like literally a thousand. Sounds like a beach with a lot of seagulls. Yes. Well, that is an excellent guess. We will be back with the answer in just a bit. <coughs> okay, now back to Kristen Lydra so we can learn some more about narwhals. Is the narwhals climate change helping them or affecting them in any way? That's a great question, and that's something scientists are studying right now. Um, So we know that there are big changes happening across the Arctic and, of course, across the globe, and that is due to climate change. And some of the biggest things that happen in the Arctic that could affect narwhals are the fact that the sea ice is disappearing And then when that happens in the Arctic, it changes the whole ecosystem. The water gets warmer, um, the currents can change, it can affect where the fish are that narwhals eat. And we don't completely understand what the climate change will mean for narwhals. But one thing we know for certain is that narwhals are very uniquely adapted to be in the ice. They're some of the kind of best. They're the the whales that do the best in the ice. And so if you take that away, it's likely to have some negative effects, but we don't completely understand all of those yet. How do narwhals communicate? So narwhals use sound, underwater sound to communicate. And basically what they do is they're able to send off very high frequency clicks, kind of like sonar, like an underwater submarine. And those clicks bounce off of different objects underwater, and then they come back to the narwhal, and they receive the signals, and they're able to basically use the sound to make a a picture of what's underwater. So we know that narwhals use sound, it's called echolocation, to basically find fish or to uh, look for holes in the ice where they come up to breathe. Um, And narwhals will also use sound, like they'll make whistles and squeaks and Kind of, kind of funny noises, basically underwater to communicate with one another. So, sort of like a dolphin or a bat. Exactly like a dolphin or a bat. That's really cool. It is so cool, and I'll tell you one thing. We we recently found out we've been doing studies of how narwhals use sound underwater, and we think that the narwhals are are one of the species across the whole animal kingdom that use sound that have basically the most precise ability to use sound to see. So you can kind of imagine like an adjustable flashlight. You know, you have, if you have a flashlight, you can turn it and it will make a really wide beam and it'll light up a whole bunch of stuff in front of you. And then you can turn it the other way and it makes a super narrow beam, like a laser, and it points the light in a very precise place. Well, we think narwhals are basically able to do that with sound, but underwater. 
Thanks for being here today, Kristen. Yes, thank you. Thanks to both of you. You were great. It was a pleasure to talk to you. episode coming up about the biological rhythms that keep us on a sleep-wake cycle, and we want to hear from you. Do you think it's better to be a morning person or a night person, and why? Email your answers to us at hello at brainzon.org. We'll include some of them in our upcoming episode, and you can send questions, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives to that same email address, hello at brainzon.org. That's where Mika sent this question. Does water have a taste? We'll answer Mika's mouth-watering question during our moment of um, plus the most recent group to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll. Stick around to the end of the show to hear it all. On But Why, we tackle your tough questions. Is it okay to do something you're told not to do and then never tell anybody? Why do people have to die when they get too old? Why is money so important? Exploring questions with no easy answers on But Why, a podcast for curious kids. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Leah. And I'm Maya. And I'm Molly. Before we bite into some cool facts about animal teeth, we're going to go back to that mystery sound. You guys ready to hear it one more time? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's hear it. Okay, so you heard it again. Any new thoughts? No, no but it sounded weird, a little more, like, interesting. Hmm. There's some parts that I couldn't make out in it, so I'm just going to stick with the guess that we have. Yeah, seagull in a really big beach, apparently. Seagull in a really big beach. Excellent guess. Well, here with the answer is Sammy from Wallingford, Connecticut. That was a sound of blue whales. And my name is Sammy, and I really like those beluga whales. They are adorable. They speak so clearly. They can hear underwater. They can be a very cute animal. Thank you. So beluga whales. Whoa. (laughs) Have you guys ever heard a whale before? Yes. Mm -hmm. But they didn't quite sound like that before? No. No. So all those people in the background, they were at the aquarium in Mystic, Connecticut. Aren't narwhals and belugas cousins? That is a great question. Yes, they are actually. They're, narwhals are a type of whale. Have you guys heard the song Baby Beluga? Oh, yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, Raffi doesn't really make the sound of the beluga whale, so it wasn't really useful in this circumstance. Yeah. brains on. Narwhal's distinctive tusk is not the only kind of cool tooth out there. There are lots of different kinds of teeth with very different uses. And to find out more, we're going to take a trip to Crazy Eddie's Tooth Emporium. Hello? Eddie, we have a customer. I can see we have a customer, Eddie. Hi, I'm looking to get my first tooth. Wait, 
Are you both named Eddie? We're twins! Mom didn't want to memorize two names. Welcome to... Crazy Crazy Eddie's Tooth Tooth Emporium. Tooth is our truth. We're bonkers for chompers. If it goes in your face, we're the place. A one-stop shop for all your chomping, chewing, gnashing, mashing needs. (laughs) Our family's been providing teeth since animals first evolved the earliest teeth-like structures some 400 million years ago. Well, I just want a simple tooth. Nothing too flashy. It's my first one, so... Simple, eh? Well, when our great, 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 great... Oh, I forget how many greats. 32, maybe? Grandpappy, Thaddeus Dentine, started this business 400 million years ago. Teeth were real simple. Check this baby out. That's a tooth? One of the first known teeth. Sort of a tooth plate, really. From a fish, I believe. An ancient placoderm called a romandina. Looks more like a spiky rock or sandpaper or something. Well, it's not what you and I think of as a tooth. Before we had teeth, there were just dermal appendages. These were scale-like structures that were hard like teeth and covered the bodies of ancient fish like armor. Great for protection, but not eating. Eventually, fish evolved to have these spiky scales in their mouths. Boy, did those toothy plates help those fish catch and hold on to prey. Gotcha! The downside was you couldn't really chew after your first bite. Perhaps you want something a little more useful? Sure. Ah, yes. Here it is. The Megalodon Tooth. What's a Megalodon? (laughs) What's a Megalodon? Megalodons are ancient monstrous sharks. They lived 23 million years ago, going extinct about 2 million years ago, and grew to be anywhere from 60 to 80 feet long. And their teeth were huge, some as big as a human hand. They were sharp, pointy, and jaggedy-edgedy. He means serrated. Yeah, that. And man, oh man, could they bite into and tear big chunks from their prey. They could even cut through bone. Uh, I don't think that's a tooth for me. It won't even fit in my mouth. Too much tooth for you, eh? Maybe you're into crushing smaller shelled snails or clams, like the ancient 200-million-year-old Dipedium fish. It had a tall, thin body that sort of looked like a dinner plate and used its flat, almost pebble-like teeth and strong jaws to pulverize shells and eat the tasty insides. Hmm, check it out. Cool, but I don't want to eat shells and snails. Not into escargot, I understand. Here, we have reptile teeth. When these animals evolved, they developed more differentiated teeth. In other words, not all the teeth in their mouths were the same. Some were small and some were larger. We call this heterodonty. Hetero for different and donty for teeth. As opposed to homodonty. Homo meaning same and Dante still meaning teeth. Get a load of the snake fang. 
With this, you can take on prey ten times your size by injecting them with venom. These babies are slender and sharp, and a venom canal connects the tip of the fang to the venom gland, so you're always ready for your next meal. Nom, nom, nom. But I'm a kid. I don't have a venom gland. Right. Maybe versatility in your teeth? Okay. Here's the mammal section. Mammals are warm-blooded, so they've got to eat a lot of calories to keep warm. Since food can be hard to come by, mammals don't want to waste anything. That's why they evolved teeth that are really good at mashing up food and breaking down the cell walls of their meal. That releases the nutrients so the body can absorb them during digestion. That sounds good, I guess. I'm a mammal. Here we go. Take your pick. You've got your incisors, your canines, and your molars. Incisors are your first weapon against food, right at the front of the mouth. They're thinner and sharper, great for cutting food into smaller bites. My favorite model is, of course, beaver incisors. Super strong and sharp. You want to gnaw down a tree? No problem. And you don't have to worry about replacing these since they're self-sharpening and always growing. Uh... I wasn't planning on nine down any trees. More of a carnivore, eh? You're going to need some long, sharp, and pointy canines to tear and share that meat. Our deluxe package debuted during the Ice Age in the saber-toothed cat, Smelodon Fatalis. Ah, here. These are like a pair of curved, nearly foot-long knives attached to your upper jaw. Smilodon used these to slice through soft flesh, causing its prey to bleed to death. That sounds mean. Okay, you want a vegetarian option? Molars are great for grinding up food, especially leaves and grass that are hard to digest. See, grasses are loaded with silica, which is a major component of sand, making them gritty. Not to worry, we've got a solution here at Crazy Eddie's. Here it is, the elephant tooth. Its molars look almost like an old-fashioned washboard with rows of ridges that rub against each other to grind up vegetation into a slurpy green smoothie. Huh? Huh? How about it? You know, I think I'm going to just wait and see what pops up in my mouth on its own. Thanks for the lesson on teeth, though. Bye. Ah, man. She left. Did we show too many teeth? We tried our best. Some people just wouldn't know a good tooth if it walked up and bit them. Male narwhals have very cool distinctive tusks. They probably evolved to attract mates. But recent drone footage shows they might have other uses too. The Arctic habitat of narwhals is changing. And it's still unclear what impact that will have on narwhals themselves. Teeth have evolved over time from nubby, scale-like structures to the specialized chompers we know today. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Tarton, and Molly Bloom. And Brains On is funded in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. We have production help from Lauren D., John Lambert, and Emily Allen. And engineering help from Cameron Wiley, Leo DeLagula, and Veronica Rodriguez. Many thanks to Sophie Hart, Jeffrey Bisoy, Marianne Marco, Jonathan and Natalie Fisher, and Melissa Kuypers. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of um. um, 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 um. um.
Hello, my name is Mika and I'm from Switzerland. My question is, does water have a taste? Yes, water has taste because you can taste actually the different mineral compositions out of the water. My name is Martin Ries and I'm the leading authority of bottled water. My title is Water Sommelier. That means a sommelier is a person who knows a lot about wine. I do the same with water because water has taste and you can even pair water to different food and beverages. Every water starts as rainwater. So it comes down and uh, rains on our grounds and the grounds have different minerals with them. And minerals are, for example, like sodium, potassium, silica, calcium, magnesium. And these types of minerals are based in the grounds and water takes them with them. And you can then taste and drink the different minerals in water. Some waters can be salty when there's a lot of minerals in there. When waters have a very low mineral content, then they are more like on the smoother side. Some waters can be bitter or metallic. I even had waters who were like almost like acidic. And I had some waters who almost like tasted like a grapefruit or a coconut. And it was not coconut water. So <laughs> that is really fun. So water has really a lot of, lot, a lot of flavors. So this water, what we have in front of us, comes from the Fiji Islands. And this water is very, very smooth and almost a little bit fruity in the aftertaste. Because this water has a lot of silica content in it. And silica is a mineral what makes water very, very smooth. So when I'm tasting this water, and I will do this right now, I'm putting water into my mouth, then I'm adding a little bit of oxygen to it to brighten up even the flavors in my mouth. So what you're trying to do when you swirl water, you put the water a little bit to the back of your mouth and then you're putting your tongue almost like in front of your teeth and then you're swirling water and you're adding like oxygen to it. Yummy. It sounds maybe funny, but it's actually very good as well to taste the differences in water. And I think everybody should do this. Just go to your grocery store, look for different spring waters. That means these waters coming from nature and purified water means these waters coming from a factory. And you can really taste the differences from A, B or C brand. It's very fun to do. If you do a water taste test at home, send us a picture and tell us what you're tasting in the water. Happy hydrating! Now, I'm going to savor these names like a fine glass of water. It's time for the most recent group of names to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll. These are the kids who keep this show going with their questions and ideas. Joey from El Dorado Hills, California, Arnie from Durham, North Carolina, Mayer from Cleveland, Henry from Ottawa, Ruby from Seattle, Benjamin from Tucson, Harper and Charlie from Lawrence County, South Carolina, Sylvie from Marietta, Georgia, William and Andrew from Hamden, Connecticut, Nishant from Pune, India, Naomi and Abigail from Newton, Massachusetts, James from Silver Spring, Maryland, Max from Seattle, Shelby from Georgia, Nels and Luke from Kentucky, Avi from Catonsville, Maryland, William from Wheaton, Illinois, Silas and Grace from Healdsburg, California, Rowan from Silver Spring, Maryland, Adric and Sole from Waconia, Minnesota, Jasper from Melbourne, Australia, Ziggy and Inish from Kaohsiung, Taiwan, Maddie and Mitch from Canberra, Australia, Evan from Santa Clarita, California, Hanley from Covington, Louisiana, Matthew from Minneapolis, Hannah and Helen from Madison, Wisconsin, DM and Isla from Hartford, South Dakota, Seeger from Glenwood Spring, Colorado, Lorelai from Petaluma, California, Wesley and Seth from Hamilton, Ontario, Simon and Darwin from Agora Hills, California, Emma and Drew from Hampton, Connecticut, Graham and Liam from Lansing, Michigan, Elena from Medina, Minnesota, Hannah from Port 
Angeles, Washington, August from Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, Luke from Tulare, California, Kay and Denny from Joshua Tree, California, and Max from Paris, France. If you want to be added to the Brains Honor Roll, you can send questions, drawings, and answers to questions like, is it better to be a morning person or a night person? To our email address, it's hello at brainson.org. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at brains underscore on. And we're on Facebook, too. You can listen to past episodes and subscribe to our newsletter at our website, brainson.org. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.